Psalm 41, 5 to 13. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Did you ever watch a gangster movie? Probably. I guess I'm a pastor. I probably shouldn't recommend gangster movies. <laughs> Who's the worst of the worst in a gangster movie? We just read about this sort of person in the scriptures, in the psalm we just read. The worst of the worst in a gangster movie. A friend who sits at your table and then raises his heel against you. The rat. <laughs> the rat. You cannot be a worse person in a gangster movie than the guy, the gangster, who turns in another gangster to the cops. That is the lowest of the low. And that person, there's only one way to deal with that guy. If we find out who he is, he's dead. In the life of Jesus, there's a rat. And we've come to the point in the story in the book of John, when the rat becomes known. In fact, Jesus has known, he tells us, in this point in the story, he's known the whole time. He tells us, in fact, at this point in the story, <clears throat> this is all in the plan. Now, Jesus, of course, is not a gangster, and he's not leading a team of gangsters. But how Jesus deals with the rat is quite amazing. Not the way anyone else would do it. it it's completely unique what Jesus does in this situation. Now, I want to sort of remember where we are in the story, 
I got too many papers to hold down here. So let's just uh, read this bit. We're going to sort of pick up a couple of verses where we left off last time. In verse uh, 15, let's, let's start there. Now remember, what happened was they sat down. At some point during the dinner, Jesus gets up. He wraps a towel around him, and he washes the disciples' feet. This is crazy. And Peter says so. All the other disciples are like, uh, what do we do? What do we do? But Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't, then you have no part with me. And we remember the rest of that conversation. Uh, You know, Peter typically (laughs) swings the other way very uh, dramatically. And when Jesus is done, he puts his jacket back on and he says, now, let me, do you understand what I did? I'm the teacher and the master, right? That's what you call me and you're right to do so. So if I, the teacher and the master, am washing your feet, what should you do? Wash each other's feet. And he came to understand last time that he's, he's not talking necessarily about the literal act of washing each other's feet, but about humble service, about humbling yourself to serve each other. And that there's a sanctifying effect that that has. He's saying, look, my, your relationship with me depends on me serving you. And we, the body of Christ, can share that in serving, in sacrificial love toward one another, and frankly, anyone else, humbling ourselves we can demonstrate what has been demonstrated to us by Christ, which is this sacrificial love. Now, I'm, well, maybe it's not so obvious, but I want to say, obviously, this is an illustration of the great act of service of Christ, which is about to happen. Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. The servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I've chosen. But the, spirit, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's the quotation from the psalm we just read. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Now, in the Greek language, we've seen this before in the book of John, it says right there that you may believe that ego emi, I am. Now, John, whenever he uses that expression, he's messing with us. 
There's an ordinary way to, for that to be used. I'm, the, I'm that guy. I am he. But ego emi is also I am. I am that I am. And identifies Jesus as God, the Son of God. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. <laughs> this is where I thought of the Godfather. One of you is a rat. Because the word betray me means turn me in. And Jesus is a wanted man. Okay? So it has a very concrete, very concrete meaning. Sorry, I meant to just read this before preaching on it. So where was I? One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other uncertain of whom he spoke. <laughs> can you see, can you picture that? They're like, the disciples, uh, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot. <clears throat> then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. That's where we're going to stop. It's very hard to decide where to begin and where to stop in this story. <laughs> but, okay. Again, I want us all to try to bear in mind uh, where we are in the story. It is the night. And Jesus is clearly very well aware of what's happening and when. And as we look at this story, we're going to see as we have seen so many times in the book of John, when Jesus talks about himself, when Jesus is exposed, when the word of God incarnate, when people come into contact with him, 
there's a division. There's a division. And what we see now is that division goes right into the very inner circle of Christ, the 12 apostles. There's a division. And we'll see this a couple of times. There's a section that's kind of about people who are for Christ and then someone who's against Christ. And then Jesus talks about the people who are with him and the people who are against him. And we started here with this uh, observation that humble service is a blessed fellowship with Christ. He says, blessed are you if you know this. Blessed are you if you do this. By the way, the, the Christian service always begins with knowing and then proceeds to doing. That's important. But he's saying, look, humble, if, if you become a humble servant to others, that is knowing something about what I am like. Paul says this, uh, where he says, if I share in his sufferings, I want to know Jesus. That's his top, top priority. He says, there's nothing more important Nothing in this world compares to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he says, one of the ways I come to know Christ Jesus my Lord is in suffering for the love of others. And Jesus is saying that exact same principle here. To know me... <laughs> If your goal is to know me, well, here is what my life as a man was about. A downward path. This is so wrong. Have you ever met anyone who says, I want to see how low I can get in the pecking order of humanity. My goal in life is to be at the bottom. Nobody. There's one person. And what he's telling the disciples when he washes their feet is, that's where I am. And if you want to be with me, that's where you will be also. I find that very challenging. He says, if you know this, bless, blessed, blessed. There's a certain joyful contentment in that word, blessed. Right, you're soul will be right if you know and do this. And then he says, but I'm not talking about all of you. 
And Jesus is continuing to drive the wedge. Not all of you. He says the strangest thing. I know whom I have chosen. One of the people Jesus had chosen is Judas. We know this because back in chapter 6, he said so. He says, didn't I choose you? He's speaking to the 12. But one of you is a devil. So that was back in chapter 6, Jesus already knew. Jesus chose a devil. He needed one. So he says, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent me. If you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them, I am not speaking about all of you. I know whom I have chosen. The scripture will be fulfilled. What he's talking about is associate, he is associating himself with David. He is the Davidic king. He is the one. He is the, the Messiah. And you can tell this because he is going to be betrayed by his friend. Just like David was betrayed by at least one of his friends. In fact, Jesus is not just going to be betrayed, turned in by one of his friends, but all of his friends are going to run away. None of them are going to stick with him. And next time, we're going to hear about that, because that's the conversation where Peter says, I'll die for you, and Jesus says, really? You'll die for me? Hmm. Well, we'll see about that, won't we? Ironically, of course, Peter does die for him in the end. But I'm getting way ahead of this story. Jesus is the Davidic king. When Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen, he's saying, look, the betrayer is in the plan The plan calls for a betrayer going all the way back to David writing this song about a betrayer. There's always been a betrayer in the plan. We know this as well because he says, I'm telling you this now for the sake of later. I'm telling you now so that later you will believe that I am he. Who, I am, who, who is the one he is? He's the one in the psalm, the Davidic king. And he is, I am. Truly, truly. I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Oh, so we've switched now. 
from against the one against to those who are for. We've gone from blessed are you if you do them, for, to one of you will betray me, against, to, uh, to uh, whoever receives the one I've sent receives me, for. Now, this begins with this expression, amen, amen. That's the, literally the, the Greek word here, amen, amen. Truly, truly. And Jesus, when Jesus uses that expression, when anyone used that expression during that time in that culture, it meant here is something you can absolutely rely upon. Pay attention. Truly, listen now. He could have said that in English. Listen now. You can count on this. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Sending is an important theme in the book of John, as we've noticed many times already. Who is sent? Who is sent? And Jesus says, I am sent. And if you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus is sent. He is sent by the Father. He always operates in the authority of the Father. He only does what he sees the Father doing and what the Father gives him and tells him to do at all times. Jesus is sent, and receiving Jesus is receiving the Father. And now Jesus introduces a little notion into the head of these men he's speaking to, which is he will be sending as well. He will be sending some people, and those who receive them will be receiving him, and if they're receiving him, they'll be receiving the Father as well. There's going to be, there's a mission going on. There's a mission of God himself. And Jesus is the missionary of God. And Jesus, in these now 11 men who are sitting, well, there's still 12 of them at this point, who are sitting here, those men will become missionaries of his. And by being missionaries of his, they're missionaries of the Father our association with Christ connects us to God. And in that connection, we bring Christ to the people around us. Especially if we are those kind of people who wash feet, who sacrificially serve, who humble ourselves, who demonstrate the love that has been demonstrated to us. Amen. Amen. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Jesus has been troubled before. I don't know if you remember. In the book of John, I mean, this exact word has been used for Jesus twice before. 
The first time was when Lazarus died and he showed up at the scene and the people were weeping and carrying on as they do. And Jesus observes this and he observes the death of his close friend and he is troubled. Then, just in chapter 12, when Jesus makes that final announcement in public about his death, he says, now my soul is troubled. He himself is going to use this word right in this, later on this evening, he's going to say to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) He's troubled, but he's saying, don't be troubled. What's one thing that's interesting to me about this is the fact that Jesus is totally aware of the plan. He knows what's going to happen and even how it's going to happen, even who is going to do this to him. He's got it all, and he certainly knows he will be raised. He's said so many times already in the book of John. Even like when with Lazarus, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, he was still troubled. Death troubles him. Death is the trouble. It is the coming apart of the design of God for humanity to be that that creation that walks in fellowship and union with God and exhibits that in relation to the rest of creation and it broke and it came apart and we're dying. And when Jesus sees his friend die and he knows this, he's going to raise Lazarus and that is going to kill him. Raising Lazarus That was the last straw. Now the leaders say, we've got to kill him. Now he's a wanted man. Now someone could turn him in. He's greatly troubled by all that. He says, one of you, one of you, I think is how we should read that. Imagine you're one of these guys sitting there. (laughs) And he says, one of you will be the one who betrays me. Not some stranger. Not somebody who just happens to spot me on the street. One of you. They're stunned. They are stunned. They are looking at each other like, who? Who Who could do that? Who could do what? Who? They're not saying anything. They're just looking at each other. They don't know who he's speaking about. 
the, uh, so one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved. This is the first time John uses this expression in the book of John to refer to himself. <laughs> he was sitting next to Jesus, maybe a position, a position of honor. So he's sitting next to Jesus. Peter, Simon Peter, motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. I just want you to stop and think about that for one second. How do you motion to someone to ask who's he talking about? You have to know someone really pretty well. You have to be pretty confident in your body language with another person to silently and so Peter communicates without words to John ask him who you're sitting right there this tells me something about Peter and John they are not the one. <laughs> now, Peter is going to deny Christ, but he's not going to be the one that turns him in. And Peter is going to be restored to fellowship with Christ. And John calls himself here the one he loved. John is overcome by the fact that he is a close friend of Messiah. He can't believe it. So he calls himself the one he loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but it's like John saying, ah, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Me? All of them think of Messiah as a triumphant king. They don't understand this downhill path yet. They still don't. And uh, so who, who is going to turn him in? Peter knows, Peter knows, it's not John. Can't be John. If Peter didn't, if Peter was uncertain about John, he wouldn't be giving him the signal. He might ask him himself, What's, isn't it kind of amazing that Peter doesn't just come out and say, who? Because that's kind of more like typical Peter behavior, but everyone is petrified. They can't believe it. And so John says, who is it? He's, he's sitting there next to Jesus. He kind of leans back and says, who is it? Jesus says to John, not anyone else. I'm going to dip this piece of bread in the gravy or whatever it is, and I'm going to hand it to the guy. That's who it is. So he does that. He dips the morsel. He gave it to Judas. Now we already know 
we already know that the idea of turning Jesus in had already occurred to Jesus or to Judas. That was at the beginning of the chapter. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's the title verse for the rest of the story. But anyway, it says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus got up and washed their feet. <clears throat> so the idea was already cooking. And when Jesus hands this little piece of bread to Judas, I imagine him looking dead in the eye. That's not in the Bible. I just imagine that. Jesus serves Judas. And it says, in that moment, Satan entered into him. That is more than putting an idea in his head. The devil himself. Now, Judas like all the other disciples, had begun to notice that Jesus was a disappointing Messiah. And he couldn't tolerate it. He's convinced Jesus is not Messiah because Jesus is talking about dying. That's crazy talk. Judas is only a little ahead of the other disciples who would have told you the same thing. But Judas is the one who will take action. So Jesus discreetly identifies him to John. And then he is literally possessed by Satan. It's breathtaking. Jesus says to him, do it quickly. And you want to say, well, whose side is Jesus on? Jesus knows the plan, and the plan involves Judas. Do it. Do it now. So Judas leaves. No, everyone else is like, what's he talking about? Do it, do it, whatever, what you have to do, do it quickly. They're all guessing something like, well, maybe there's something he has to buy or I don't know. Nobody knows. And this tells you that all of this, you know, John talking, or Jesus talking to John and telling him how he's going to identify Judas and all of that, they're not tracking any of that. After receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately left. There's a quick exit. There's a signal from Peter to John. There's a question. There's a discreet 
identification. There's a possession. And there's a quick exit. And then you have this very interesting statement. And it was night. <laughs> Why is that important? We, in fact, we kind of already knew that, didn't we? And it was night. You remember all that talk about light of the world and if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness? That's the point of this. Night has fallen. And Judas chooses darkness. This goes all the way back to chapter 3, right? Chapter 1 even. Men love darkness rather than light. Judas loves darkness. Night has fallen. The, and this night is the night of all nights. If we want to talk about the darkness of sin and the judgment of man, night has come, John says. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now. Now. The Son of Man is glorified. <laughs> this, this is like a roller coaster. Blessed are you, but not all of you. I was sent, you'll be sent. You will have the mission of connecting people to the living God, but one of you will betray me. Who? This one. Night has fallen. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now we've talked about this already, right? But how is this now? It's, it's like now that Judas has gone to do what Judas is in the plan to do, the Son of Man is glorified. Now. Now. It's here. It's here. And what is it? It is the cross. The path of glo to glory passes through the darkest of all nights, the cross. The Son of Man is glorified when the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross and draws all men to himself from the cross. If I want to find the glory of God, I don't need a fancy cathedral. I need the cross 
of Jesus Christ. Someplace no one, none of these people, none of us would ever think to look for God on a Roman cross. Now that Judas has gone to do what Judas is going to do, the Son of Man, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. The very essence of the living God who is a person's, who will humble himself for the love of another. Even to the point of death, even death on a cross, the very essence, the humility of God is visible in the person of Christ. The Father is glorified in the glory of the Son. And Jesus says, if the Father is glorified in the Son, then (laughs) the Father will also, also glorify the Son in the Father. That's how I read all those pronouns. You want to hear it again? If the Father is glorified in the Son, then the Father will also glorify the Son in the Father. There's a mutual glory in the eternal fellowship of the living God. This is how glory even exists because there's more than one person. There's greatness and greatness admired and greatness reflected. That's glory. And the Son of Man is glorified by God in God, and God is glorified by the Son in the Son. He says one more thing. God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now. The time has come. This is the introduction of Jesus' little conversation with the disciples, his departing conversation, if you will, the upper room discourse, we call it, which is so packed with deep, rich, and yet (laughs) not difficult theology I don't know how long it'll take us to get through the next few chapters. He says, I will, the Son of Man will be glorified at once. There's a question that I printed in your bulletin. I always have a question to go with each sermon. And the question is, where lies the path to glory? For the world, in the world, among human beings, the path to glory is an uphill path. That's the way the world operates. The path to glory is an uphill path. But (laughs) it turns out the real path to glory, the one that is not a lie, A fiction 
The one that is actually the only sane path to glory is a downhill path. And that we see in the life of Jesus clearly demonstrated. Now, you could pursue glory in the world. That'd be normal. In fact, I think Jesus says things like, you should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I think he's saying, well, feel free to pursue all the worldly glory you might want to. But please don't think that it's real. He criticizes here in the book of John people who seek the glory of men rather than the glory that comes from God. He says that's like a disability. And he's demonstrated repeatedly the fact that he's here, the fact that he's on this downhill path. That is the thing that gets him killed. That is the disappointing Savior. But he's the Savior. And in the life of the church, when Jesus says something like, whoever wants to be first among you should make himself last among you, he, he's not just playing around with words. He's the one who actually did that and says to us, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am trying to get my mind around how to be happy, sacrificial. It isn't normal, fallen human thinking. But that is what Jesus did. He's going to talk about the, his joy. He's telling them this because he wants them to have his joy. We know in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He's not unhappy. He's troubled, but he's not unhappy. It's hard. It's hard to grasp. I can sympathize with the disciples thinking, you're not making sense. Getting yourself killed is not the way to go. But it is the only way we have been reconciled to the living God. It is the only way I am actually alive. And it is the path to follow, even though I do not have it figured out. Because to know him, that's the prize. That's the prize. Wherever he is, that's where I need to be. Father, thank you for your love. <laughs> it's not really comprehensible, Lord, but it is so good. Teach us, Lord, how to be joyful servants. 
to be uh, humble and happy. Help us, to, Lord, to be uh, the church that exhibits this in the world. Make us confusing to people in our lack of self-advancement. Lord, we need you above all things. We rest in you. And we know that in you we have life, we have abundant life, we have eternal life. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.